Yo, welcome into episode 95 of the House of L podcast. I have a treat for you this week on the podcast, that is for sure. We love to talk with interesting people inside the world of media, capital M. That's what allows us to talk to people who just aren't journalists. We talk to comedians. We talk to interesting people whose content you consume Today, though, is uh, an old friend that stopped by the podcast today, Paula Ferris. You can watch Paula on ABC, like the network, man, not just local. Nothing wrong with being a local MC. I'm a local MC, but she's on the network, and you can also check out her podcast, Journeys in Faith with Paula Ferris, and it's it's a really interesting. She's on season three of that podcast now. So what she does is she talks to big names in the world of news and politics and everything else about their faith. And if you look at some of the people that she's had on, it's pretty crazy. And this past year, she spent a lot of time talking with people who are running for president about their faith, like political figures. So I would highly recommend that you check it out because it's something that's important to her. Her own faith, her own journey of faith is very important to her. And you will hear that as the episode goes on. But some of the this episode is really powerful, in my opinion. I mean, you can make up your own mind after you're done listening to it. But some of the choices that Paula made over the last couple of years are not choices that most people in her position would have made. And she talks about how, from a career standpoint, some of these choices were damaging. But she needed the space to make some of these choices. I don't want to spoil it here. I want you to listen to, to understand what I'm talking about. I'll just say this. Paula at this, over the last five years, if you look at what's happened with her career, this is someone who is sitting at the mountaintop of the profession and considering where she was in, when did she leave? Was that 2014, 2013, 2014, when she left Channel 5 to then be a host on The View, to be doing Good Morning America, to be at the Oscars. I'll never forget seeing her on the red carpet at the Oscars and being like, whoa, homegirl has made it. All that glitters isn't gold. And you'll hear her explain that along with some identity issues that that I, I'm fascinated by. There's a very famous actor who Paula is related to. And I don't know if you ever would have thought that this person and her were related, but they are. And she explains how it's really, really good. Very powerful for any anyone in any career. I think that her advice is helpful for those of us in media. I think it's super helpful. Because we're all trying to get to the top of the mountain. And she got there and she didn't necessarily like the view. No pun intended. 
So, episode 95, I get a chance to chat with my friend, Paula Ferris. I think you will enjoy. It's so weird. I was actually talking with someone about how, you know, I, I asked your advice about career stuff and I didn't take it, but I, it's your advice I actually, is actually stuck in my head. Because, oh God, what did I say? Well, I had asked <laughs> you because I, I got offered an opportunity to do something that was non-sports mm-hmm. and you said you should do it. And I didn't, I didn't, I ended up re-signing at the score, but it stayed in the back of my mind. What it did is it opened up my mind to what's possible. Right. That that, that was kind of the crazy thing that I was like, oh, you know what? I, if I want to leave sports, I actually could, and I could do something yeah. else. And I, I've been thinking about that ever since you, you, you gave me oh. the advice. So, so let me ask you, now mm-hmm. that, that you've left sports, although you keep a toe in it, which is cool. I do, I do, I do still dip my toes, but it's from a news perspective. So I'm not getting into the X's and O's and the semantics and the depth charts when I cover sports. I still get to dabble and, and quench my thirst, so to speak. But I'm finding it so much easier to be a fan when you're outside of working in the sports industry, per se, because you get into it because you love it. And then you see it up a little too close and you see things that you wish you hadn't seen. For me, it just wasn't as much fun. It became my job, per se. Now I, I watch because I want to, because I have this deep passion for it. And I love it. And I love sitting down with my middle child and and who by the way just won his fantasy football league uh he played for um my friend dan harris who's my former co-anchor at at gma weekend lawrence this is hysterical and dan commissioned him dan was in a league knows nothing about sports like almost 50 years old this this is his high school buddies and he said paula will you run my fantasy football team and i said no i'm not going to do that for you but you can have jj do it he paid jj to do it and jj won the league i love being able to sit down and watch it and explain the game my son my i love seeing my son's eyes mommy knows a lot about sports so um to to be able to explain it and to watch it um and have him inquire about it and ask his mom which i think is really cool i think it's really cool too it's it's weird you're right like learning how the sausage is made takes away a lot of your fandom and it's a hard it's hard adjustment because almost all of us got into this because we love sports and it, at some level we were all fans so how did you come to grips to that with, with that knowing that it was a uh, it was something that you had always loved and you were losing that spark that why you got into it well i think i think it's just natural that um we feel that way i, I think we view ourselves very one-dimensionally oh i went to school to be a nurse i went to school to be um, you know, an engineer. I went to school to be an accountant. I went to school to be a journalist. And so we start looking at ourselves very one-dimensionally. Instead of peeling back the layers is what makes you a good journalist, Lawrence? What makes someone a good nurse? What makes someone a prolific engineer? For me, like, yes, it was, I felt like a part of me was dying, but I also had to reconcile my priorities were changing. I had two little kids at the time. I knew I needed something. Um, I, I wanted to do something that I was passionate about, but it also, I, I had to make some concessions because I had two little kids under the age of two at home. And that's when I was kind of making the switch at that point. But I, I think it's a broader conversation of being able to see 
look at ourselves and look at the gifts that we each have because each one of us is so uniquely equipped and so uniquely uh, talented in our own right. Um, what makes me a good journalist is I'm innately curious. I am, uh, I'm very, I, I will go for the story, okay? I won't take no for an answer. My nickname growing up was Paula 20 questions. So I will pursue it and I'm dogged in my approach and I can be a bulldog at some times, but I'm also a connector and I, I like to connect people to things. So I think that's what makes me a good journalist. I like to use the anecdote of my husband who was a college basketball All-American. So he's the captain of his basketball team in high school and college. And then he goes on to coach division two basketball at Central State University. And now he's in commercial real estate at, as he's the manager of one of the largest commercial real estate firms in New York City. And you're like, what are the commonalities? Because those are kind of three different things. He's a, he's a gifted leader and a gifted communicator. And that makes him good. That, that made him an excellent captain of his basketball team. That made him an excellent coach. And it makes him um, an excellent manager at this commercial real estate firm. So I think peeling back those layers and seeing what are your gifts what are your unique talents and how can they, and giving yourself the permission when it comes time to branch out and not seeing yourself so uh, like on, on, on a one-way track. You need to see yourself multidimensionally. Do you, do you understand where I'm going with that? So Absolutely. even for me, even for me, like I'm looking to branch out and do other things. For so long, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't in broadcasting. I don't, I have no other talents. I, I'm not good at anything else, but that is such a lie. And that's, if you're thinking that, that's such a lie too. So just giving yourself the permission to branch out, to not see yourself in just one capacity, go deeper and deeper and deeper and see what makes you a good nurse. You're compassionate. Um, you know, you, you can connect with people. Well, you know what, that, that manifests in so many different capacities, not just in the, the medical field. So don't, if you feel trapped, don't because there's so many things that you could do and there's things that only you are uniquely gifted and uniquely talented to do and stop seeing yourself and boxing yourself into a corner, backing yourself into a corner. It's not just others around you that are doing, you're probably doing that to yourself. I did that to myself for so long and I finally am breaking free of that and allowing myself to branch out and do other things. How scared were you to leave channel five? Oh, very. I, um, uh, well, Channel 5, obviously, in Chicago, I'm born and raised in the Midwest. Love the Midwest. That's all I'd ever known. Born and raised in Michigan, went to school in Ohio, lived in Ohio for 12 years after high school, then lived in Chicago for six years. My husband's born and raised in Indiana. We met in college in Ohio. And that's all we'd ever known. Chicago, we thought we would die there. And we actually, we wanted to. My husband's family was two hours away. My family was three hours though. It was a very convenient, very comfortable life. And I love the city. I love the Midwest. I still define myself as a Midwesterner. I'm not a New Yorker. I say New York is home for now, but it's not home. So it was terrifying to leave everything that was near and dear to us. And, and for all intents and purposes, it was our comfort zone. Chicago was our comfort zone to go to a place where we didn't really, we didn't know anyone. We were taking a huge risk. We had two little kids. So it was very terrifying, but Lawrence, like the doors were closing and for me in Chicago, I wanted to, I wanted to branch out and I wanted to, to do news because things in my life were changing. And if you work in news in Chicago, you have to have a hearty 
palette for sports. You have to know sports. You have to love sports. Um, but my news director and my general manager, and I have a great relationship with them to this day, they told me that I couldn't make the transition to news to doing a morning show. And all of these doors continued to close. And I'm like, okay, God, what are you telling me? I don't, and, and if you would have asked me, and you probably did when I was in Chicago, would you ever go to New York? I'm like, not in a million years. I, I, I like to visit New York. I love to leave. It's still my motto to this day. Um, but every single door closed. And so I got a call out of the blue from an executive who had pursued me years earlier in, in New York to come work for the network. And so I came back out and she said, are you open? Are you willing to move to New York? I said, well, I'm open to having a conversation. And I flew out here. And I can't describe it like I heard this audible voice from God saying, you need to move. But I just felt a sense of peace about it. And so did my husband. And so that's why we moved out here. Um, we really felt, as weird as it sounds, that we were called to come out here for a season. And, you know, I do think things are seasonal. Does, I don't think we'll be here forever. I think it's a large chapter of our lives. But I was really terrified. There's nothing scarier than leaving your comfort zone and walking into the unknown. But anytime you're making a big change, whatever change that that might be, there's always an element of fear and an element of faith. You're stepping out in faith. And if you can hear that construction behind me, I apologize. I'm <laughs> in my studio. I'm I'm sitting in my office at 47 West 66th in New York. And I'm on the fourth floor and the floor beneath me, they're renovating the entire studio. Oh. So this has been going on for a long time and I don't see the end of it. So it's, it's impossible to have a quiet conversation such as you and I are trying to do right now. So if you hear construction in the background, that's what it is. But so, uh, Okay. So walk me through, like you make the decision <laughs> that you're going to join the network. When you left, it was definitely like emotional for all of us that were still over at Channel 5. Yeah, you, right. you walking away. Then you end up doing the the world news now, right? Is that the next step? The world news. Yes, now? yes. So not only am I leaving my comfort zone, I'm leaving it to work overnight. Okay. Yeah. So when I first, it's not like I got had this cushy gig. I when I first started, I was doing the overnight shift. So I would go in at 9 p.m. at night, and I would get home around nine in the morning, but my schedule, even then, like I would, I would file reports for good morning America, or sometimes I'd go on shoot. So my schedule was and my sleep schedule was so staggered. And I did the, I anchored their overnight news. I did not even know that ABC news had an overnight news cast until um, I came to interview for the position. Uh, but world news now was a quirky news show. And I absolutely adored my time. I did that for a year. It gave me my, my news sea legs, I, I, I like to say, and um, because having a sports background, I think sports, people that work in sports broadcasting can make the transition to news so easily. You've seen it with Robin Roberts, you've seen it with Michael Strahan, um, Josh Elliott, who used to be at Good Morning America, all, you know, really deep ties to the sports world. And because you are used to working without a teleprompter, you're used to ad-libbing and improvising. It makes you good on the other side and you can fill time and people can throw you a fastball and you know how to respond because that's, that's how you've been trained. So uh, I did the overnights for a year and then they promoted me to a general correspondent and I was flying all over the world and whatnot. And that's when I went, one of my big assignments was going to Brazil for the World Cup in 2014 for a full month. 
And then I got promoted to GMA weekend anchor. And then they asked me to do the view while I was anchoring weekends. And that schedule was a little nutty. So I found myself a little burnt out, just to be honest. And um, I, I, I think there is a danger of leaning in so hard to what we do for a living and leaning into our vocation and our work to a point where that's the only thing that defines us. And we don't know who we are outside of it. So I burn out about a year and a half ago. And I asked my bosses, I said, guys, I, I can't keep doing weekends and the view and my schedule was, I literally had no schedule. I was lucky to get a day off. It wasn't the same day. Sometimes you get two days, but um, you know, for, with, with a family of five, I have three kids. It's just, it wasn't, it wasn't feasible for me to continue on that path. And I was so addicted to that thrill and accomplishment and achievement of work that that's all I could see, even to the detriment of the relationships around me, my, 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 with my husband and my children and my friends and my church. So I asked them, I said, I got to pump the brakes here. I need to work Monday through Friday. I've got to do something else here at the network. So I asked to do, to be a general correspondent Monday through Friday and to launch a faith podcast. And I've been doing that and it's been really rewarding. But the thing that stood out to me most, Lawrence, was when I walked away from those two quote unquote dream jobs, you know, anchoring GMA weekends and, and co-hosting the view. I didn't know who I was outside mm. of my job. Man, that is, it's funny because when I would see like, you on who the view, are we, who are we outside of what we do? It, it, it's, it's a theme. Like, so I've done, I think this is, I've done almost a hundred episodes of this podcast so far talking right. to journalists about their jobs and everything. And that theme keeps coming up. Yeah. Who am I if I'm not this? Yeah. It's an excellent question to, to try and dig deep on oneself and figure yeah, out. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, Lawrence, what's one of the first questions you ask somebody when you meet them? How are you? Well, after that, how are you? And then what do you oh, do for a living? What do you do? What do you do? And even subconsciously, we're, we're spreading this message that you are only defined by what you do. Your value is vocation. Your worth is your work. We ask our children from the time that they can speak, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so from a young age, and we don't even, I don't even know if we're aware of it. We're throwing all of our eggs into this basket because we're taught that our purpose and our calling is, is career related. And when there is a shift in career, which God knows I've seen several in my life and, and I'm sure there's gonna be more you know, in the near horizon. When there's a shift in our career, uh, when we wanna branch out, we, we have this almost existential identity crisis because we don't know who we are outside of that. Uh, and that's something that I really had to deal with in the aftermath of, of that decision that I made to walk away from the weekends and to walk away from the view at the, literally the height of my career. So it didn't make any sense. I actually have a book coming out about these tenants of, of who are we outside of what we do that I'm excited to share. Um, but it was a, it was a dark time for me for a while and very introspective and a time of discovery to, to try to answer that question. If I, if you walk away from what you do, do you know who you are anymore? And I do now, but I didn't for a long time. And just grappling with that and the guilt of that, of knowing that for so long I profess that I'm not defined by what I do, I'm defined by who I am, and that this, is, this, this job doesn't define me, when in reality, the moment that there was a shift 
I didn't know who I was outside of it. So how did you steer out of it? Oh gosh, honestly, you know, I'm a woman of deep faith. I prayed a lot, but I went through a dark space. Um, but I tried to, to just surround myself with trusted people. I don't think you want to listen to too many voices. You want, you want to carve out some time to just meditate and think about where your life is and where you're, where you want your life to go. I knew, you know, during that process, my dad passed away. My dad passed away just a year ago and seeing my dad who had multiple opportunities to, to move up the corporate ladder and, and he decided that he didn't want to do that. I mean, he had promotion after promotion offered and he decided he wanted to be home with his kids every, every evening for dinner. And, but my dad was like such, he was such a man of integrity and he was home at dinner and the way that he built into others and built into our lives. I realized at the end of his life, you know, I, I remember right before he passed away, he, um, he was crying and he was crying because he was in a lot of pain. My dad had a massive stroke and in August of 2018 and never regained the ability to speak, swallow, eat, um, and was paralyzed in the right side. He couldn't even drink water, Lawrence. And he, 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 for all intents and purposes, just starved to death. He had a feeding tube from August until February uh, when he passed away, uh, the February of just uh, 2019. And I remember having a conversation with him and I said, dad, are you crying because you're in pain? And I had to ask him kind of like open-ended yes or no questions. Or is that a close-ended question? Wait, if you, if you want a yes or no, is that open-ended? That's open-ended. Right? Yes or no is close-ended. Close-ended, thank you, gosh. So I had to, I had to ask him close-ended question, just yes or just to evoke a yes or no because he couldn't really speak. I said, dad, are you crying because you're in pain? And he said, no. I said, are you crying because you're sad? He said, no. I said, are you crying because you're just overwhelmed by the love and memories of your life? And he, he nodded and he said, yes. And that's the, that's the life that my dad lived. That's the legacy he left behind. And he gave me and he gave my family that gift of perspective of what's important, what's not, what's consequential and what's inconsequential. And you look at his gravestone, it says nothing about what he did. It was the type of person he was. And I want to live with that. I want to live with that in mind. It's hard, though, because our culture, it's so counterculture. Our culture is, you know, be the best and succeed and achieve and accomplish. But you get that and you burn out. And many times you burn out and you've lost sight of what's important. And so I think there's a way to do it. But there's, it's, it's for me, it was a, a paradigm shift to see my job for what it is. I love it but it's not my purpose and it's not, that's not my purpose in life. And uh, just to be able to separate my purpose, which I think my purpose is to love people and to love God. And the, my vocation is the way that I do that. It's just a vehicle, whether it's in broadcasting or whether I decide to be an entrepreneur or whether I decide to do something totally different, it's just the, the vehicle and to kind of see it for what it is and know that it's going to change, but it's just a conduit by which I will fulfill my purpose to love God and love people. So for me, it was a, a paradigm shift and just, you know, make, acknowledging it, acknowledging that it was an addict. My, my career was very much an addiction for a while and I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And don't get me wrong, those accolades and accomplishments and success are still byproducts of what I do, but that's not why I do it anymore. It, I, don't, I, I know 
what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for, if that makes sense. So it's just been incremental changes and a paradigm shift. Man, you're, I mean, it, it's, it's really telling. Cause I mean, I would smile. I see you at the Oscars and I'm like, holy crap. Paul is at the yeah. Oscars, man. <laughs> we used to sit on the anchor desk together. He's <laughs> out there in a designer dress at the Oscars. <laughs> Yeah, spanks and not able to breathe and can't and I can't wait to eat a cheeseburger afterwards so <laughs> but that's that's a lot to 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 walk away from yeah that, I know to find and, that perspective to walk away from right well you know and and I was told I was crazy and I it wasn't a great career move per se but I also think we buy that lie that if we want to off-ramp for a little bit especially I think that's something that a lot of women um, and some men, some men struggle with too. We need to give ourselves the permission to offer them. Don't buy the lie that you can't ever get back in. That's such a load of, that's a load of crap. Okay. So giving yourself the permission to branch out the permission to off ramp for a bit, to try something new. I don't know if I would have done it though, Lawrence, if I hadn't gone through a really tough patch where I knew that I was supposed to slow down. I, I kind of knew that I would, that God or God was speaking to me to just pump the brakes a bit, but I refused to do it. It wasn't until I went through this really tough season, uh, which encompassed five major events in seven months in my life that God really got my attention. And it started, I had a miscarriage with an emergency surgery. I uh, suffered a concussion at work. Someone, I was on a live shot getting ready to go live for GMA for Good Morning America. And someone threw something at my head 60 miles an hour. And I was knocked out of work for three weeks. The day I get to go cleared to go back to work, I get in a head-on car crash. Then I get influenza, like the influenza, which turns into pneumonia. And that was seven months of my life. And I had sensed throughout all of that, that I needed to pump the brakes or something something catastrophic was going to happen to, to, to my family or my relationships. Um, or that my addiction to my job was going to get the best of me. And it wasn't until I went through that, that I was like, all right, I think I need to slow down and I will. So I think sometimes, sometimes you, you have the wherewithal and the wisdom to step, step away when you feel that longing or you feel that calling, you hear that little voice and you feel maybe some, I didn't feel a peace with where I was in my gut. I literally needed to be knocked out. Like I needed, I, I, I had to go through that tough season in order for, for God, or if you call it a higher power or whatever, to get your attention, to get my attention. So, and God can do that too. I know plenty of people who they'll stop in their tracks. And I think it's at that moment you need, to, that's a moment to just stop and pause and reflect. Is this, is this how I want my life to continue? Is this the course that I want to continue on? In 40 years, when I look back at this moment, when I'm sitting on my porch, drinking some spiked lemonade, how would I go back and live this moment again? So I think living with that foresight, I, th I think if we all, I like to say it's my front porch mentality. If I'm on my front porch when I'm 80 years old, sipping my spiked lemonade, how would I go back and, and relive that moment? How would, I, how would I relive that moment as an 80 year old with that wisdom that I have? So that's what I've just been trying to do. And it's tough. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm not buying the lie from society that my value is what I do anymore. I'm not and I'm not buying the lie that I can't off ramp. I'm not buying the lie that I can't branch out and try other things. So you know, that's, that's, that's my message.
let's talk about the podcast. Yeah. The Journeys, Journeys of Faith podcast. I, I, when you announced that you were doing it, I said to myself, I was like, I can't think of anyone better to, yeah. to do this. What made you decide that this was the way you wanted to channel your, your curiosity and sure. your journalistic side into sharing stories? Well, I, you know, working in television, you're not able to really get in depth with a lot of these stories. I mean, on most mornings, Lawrence, my Good Morning America stories are like a minute and a half, two minutes. There's no, there's no opportunity to get really in depth with your subjects um, or your interviewees. So the subject matter that is. So I, I know I'm a woman of deep faith and I know there are so many other people of deep faith, whether they are Jewish or they're Sikh or they're Muslim or they're Buddhist or they're Christian, what have you. And I, I think in this moment, we're so divided and, and there's so much ignorance because we don't, we don't show up as our true selves to work. We don't talk about the cultures and traditions and things that are really important to us that would open up a natural conversation, uh, a very much needed conversation that we have to have in this moment. So I know how, because my faith is so important and I also know I also know the propensity in the news world, the moment you bring up Allah or God or Jesus or Buddha, like we just don't want to go there, okay? We want to talk about your game-winning catch, right? That other stuff, no, we don't want to talk about. So I wanted to give people of many different faiths, newsmakers, an opportunity to talk about what they believe and why and how it gets them through the ups and downs of life. And you, when you talk about someone's faith and their core value and their, and their moral compass, it naturally opens up bigger conversations, uh, not just what they believe, but how it's their guiding force. And tell me about that, that tough point in your life and how your faith got you through it. And you can naturally talk, you, you can literally ask anyone any questions. So I've just, I've loved the opportunity. I've learned so much about other faiths and I've learned to see people for people instead of people as policy or just to kind of go beyond those natural talking points. And it's an opportunity to see these newsmakers and influencers in a different light. I just did, I've been doing a series season three with politicians, some of the 2020 candidates and, you know, Democrats and Republicans. And it's been really, really interesting to peel back some of those layers, but to see how their faith journey has guided them um, into the person that they are and the policies that they back. So. I just think it's a, it's a much needed conversation and I want to encourage, you know, I, I think one of the problems in our society is we're not having those important conversations that we should have because we're too scared. And, um, but one of the reasons we're not having those is because we're not showing up as our true selves. The moment I show up as a Christian or the moment you show up as a Muslim, I can start asking you about the traditions and cultures in the Muslim world. And we have these really great conversations, respectful conversations about what's important to one another. And that just naturally breaks down some walls. And I think, I like to think the best of America. I think we're just very ignorant about one another. And for me, this is an opportunity to break down some of those walls and break down the ignorance uh, about certain cultures and traditions. What's been the most surprising thing that you found out in your discussions, specifically with the politicians, yeah, where, yeah. when it comes to faith? Oh gosh, um, I got it's it. That's that's a tough one because you know I 
each one, each conversation was so different. But I realized how much a lot of these politicians are using their faith as a guiding principle for their particular policies. One of the more fascinating conversations that I had was with uh, Senator Tim Scott. He's the only Republican African-American senator in the, he's the only one in the country and that puts him in a really tough position. So talking to him about how the president leans on him for racial issues and whether or not the president's racist, I mean, it just naturally opened up some really provocative things that he did, conversations. And then there was Senator Cory Booker who says, you know, I wish that the Democrats would talk about faith a little bit more, but they're too scared because they, they want to be seen as this open tent uh, type of party, very welcoming, but they're, and that's more often than not why they're not having these really important conversations about faith. But I'm, I'm learning that it's, you know, for a long time, faith was just really a one party topic. I mean, Republicans talked about it all the time, but you see Democrats are starting to talk about it a little bit more with Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg um, from South Bend, the mayor, and, um, you know, Tulsi Gabbard is Hindu. You see Elizabeth Warren invoking Sunday school on the campaign trail. Like almost all of them have, have invoked some, some, their faith on some in some way or another, because they know that, you know, this country was founded on certain principles. Faith is very important to a majority of people in this country, whatever their faith may be. And I think people understand that they want to see the moral compass that's guiding these, these politicians. This is a little bit of an offshoot, but it made me think of something. I love offshoots. Okay. Tangential. I, I used to think about this when I was on The View and they would talk mm -hmm. about the panel of The View. Do you consider yourself a woman of color? I don't, I don't think most people, well, I'm half Lebanese. I don't right. know. I don't, I, I, should I be? I mean, my last name is truly Shalhoub. I'm related to Tony Shalhoub. My dad's hundred percent Lebanese. I don't really look Lebanese. I think if I looked a little, is that terrible to say if I, if I outwardly looked more Lebanese, maybe people would consider me more ethnic. I don't know. Um, but I, it's interesting, I just went back to Lebanon over the summer to see our family. We have a slew of family there, um, whether it's in Beirut or the mountains, uh, these small, beautiful, idyllic mountain villages, which are just outside of Beirut. And really, I just, I have such a love for Lebanon, for the culture and tradition and the people and the food and the family, the family atmosphere. Um, I don't know how to answer your question, though, Lawrence. I don't think that's necessarily for me to determine. I've always considered my, I've always been very proud of my heritage, um, that my dad's, you know, Lebanese, full Lebanese. My grandparents came here looking for a better life, my Jiddu and my Situ. And so to go back to the, to the mountain villages, the remote mountain villages where they were born and raised, it was really just a, a really profound moment to just dig back into my roots and my heritage, a heritage that I'm really, really proud of. I know you are. And that's, that's part of the reason mm -hmm. that I brought it up because I'm, I was having a conversation with a student of mine who I think is going to be a rock star mm -hmm. uh, journalist whenever she decides she's going to be a star. And her family is from Iraq. And mm -hmm. I actually asked her, I said, do you consider yourself a woman of color? And she kind of gave me, the same answer where she was like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure what the world thinks of me. 
and versus like what I think of myself. And I remember when you were in Chicago, people were like, you know, Paula's so brown. And I was like, yes, because she's Lebanese. So, yeah. so I, I don't know if that's something that even gets discussed because even, even Ferris and Far, like those names of, of people who are Lebanese usually end up, you know, they change to those types of names. So I yeah. wasn't sure how that affected you throughout your career. I think, and you know, I think if my name, because I, Ferris, it's interesting when my Jiddu came over, my Jiddu is Arabic for grand, grandfather. When he came over from Lebanon, uh, he came through Ellis Island and his name was changed. His name was George Shelhoub. Ferris was his father. Now, back in the day when you would introduce yourself, you would say, I am George, son of Ferris Shelhoub. And so they said, ah, you're George Ferris. So Ferris is truly, yes, it's, it was my father's father or my grandfather's, my great grandfather's first name. So I think if my name growing up was Shelhoub, I think just naturally the name probably, probably would have spoken volumes if you get where I'm going with that. Absolutely. Ferris, Ferris, it just sounds, am I Greek? Am I Italian? What am I? Um, but if I had Paula Ferris, which, or Paula Shelhoub, which is truly my last name, and that's if I want to look at my ancestors, I have to look up Shelhoub, I think it, I think it would have changed probably the narrative a little bit. How important is that immigrant story to you? Oh, it's everything. It's, it's, I think I, I, you know, I've, I, like I said, our whole family, we're hustlers. We work really hard. And I think that stems from our heritage. Uh, you know, my grandparents, my Jadu Institute, they lost everything in the depression. They worked really hard. They were proud of, they weren't just proud of their Lebanese heritage. They were very proud of how hard they worked to become American citizens. And um, they had six children. And I think it's, it's a huge part of who I am. It's in my DNA. It's why I have a really hard, a strong work ethic, because that's the type of environment that I was raised in. They had nothing. Then they, you know, my, my grandfather accumulated some wealth and then he lost everything. And that gives you a perspective. Work hard, but, but the Lebanese tradition is not just work hard, it's all about family. When we went to Lebanon this summer, there, were 12, there was a 12-person contingent from the, from the states that went. My four, the four siblings, the four Ferris kids, and then eight of my first cousins. We stayed with our cousins in Lebanon. And when I'm telling you, they don't have a lot, like they live in apartments. They gave us everything. They slept on the floor so we could sleep on beds. I remember one particular moment telling my cousin, I said, Gita, I love your shirt. She said, thanks. I'll give it to you tomorrow. And I said, Gita, I don't want your shirt. I just want, no, you keep your shirt. It, they're just overwhelmingly generous. And it's all about family, all about family and food and faith and tradition. So I very much, it, it, and, you know, just again, seeing you know, my dad passed away and seeing that I now have that gift of, of perspective and going to Lebanon and getting a, a true sense of what's important in family. Uh, really, that's all you got at the end of the day. That's been a huge gift. And I, and, and again, I'm, like I said, I'm changing and I'm evolving and I'm branching out and I'm taking all of this with me along the way and on my journey. 
as I get older and wiser, hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, this this evolution that you're going through. I think mm-hmm. is really powerful. Thanks. How, how would you how would you describe it to someone who who looked at your looks at your career and says, "Man, I I want to be Paula Ferris when I grow up." How would you describe this evolution that you've gone through? It's been jarring in some respects because everything that I had worked for, I had worked my way up the ladder and I worked really hard and I wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything, I wouldn't do anything differently, Lawrence, even though I have a totally different perspective. I think that's just part of growing older and growing wiser. Um, you don't gain perspective by doing things perfectly. You gain perspective through your mistakes and through your, you know, not just your mistakes, but the things that you, that you wish you hadn't done. So I, for me, like, I don't regret anything. I would do everything the same. I think you just have to go out there and, you know, work hard and do your best, but just keep your perspective along the way. I think when I went into broadcasting, I had clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. I had great intentions, but I lost myself along the way. And I really got, I got completely caught up in what I did. And I got caught up in the accomplishment and the success and the me, me, me aspect of it, the ego aspect of it. And much of that is natural, but I think I'm grateful for everything that I went through. It's made me a stronger person. And I know that there are a lot of other people from various industries that have gone through something similar. I'm glad that I now have a a voice and we can talk about these things openly and I just encourage anyone to love what you do but don't be defined by it don't be defined by it because the moment you're defined by it that's really the moment that you your priorities start to shift you kind of lose your sense of self you lose your you totally lose yourself in it and just ask yourself that question who am i outside of this do, do i know my life's purpose outside of what i do and i didn't i know there are a lot of folks out there that 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 don't either um, love what you do but don't be defined by it i thank you for your time i know that you are super Aww, busy thank you along with being anything a super for you mom. oh my god and, and when the book's ready let me know and I we will. can we can do something. I'll put you on the score. I mean, we'll do awesome. it. All That's right. Great. That's great, honey. It's yeah, it'll be out in April. So awesome. Love you, boo. I love you too. Have a great day. I love your tiki masala wall. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, hun. Right. Bye. Okay, bye, hun. Yeah, man. Paula is is pretty powerful. I God, I love talking to her about all of this stuff. It was a lot of fun and I'm glad that she was as willing of a participant as she was. And she, we were doing a, a, a Skype for lack of, we were actually doing zoom. So she was looking into my office and that's why she was talking about my walls that I have here because we were trying to figure out if I have kind of an orange wall in, in, in place. And she was like, is that a bear's orange wall? And I was like, I don't think so. But anyway, I'm glad that, she was as real as it gets when it comes to talking about her faith, trying to figure out her own identity and where it fits in the world and walking back from, you talk about being at the top of the profession. There's a point where Paula Ferris was at the top of the profession. 
She's hosting GMA. She's on The View. She's doing red carpet stuff at the Oscars. And she felt the need to, to scale it back. And it's amazing that in scaling that back, she then finds her Journeys of Faith podcast. And that podcast is doing very well for both Paula and ABC. It's crazy. It's There are times when I wish I would have taken her advice when I asked her the advice. And I look back on it now and I, I figured out that I'm kind of in the place that I wanted to be all along. But she was adamant about it. She was adamant about challenging myself and doing things that are different. I've always found her, even though I think Paul is younger than me. I have to look it up. I think she's younger than me. But I've, I've always looked to her and Peggy Kaczynski as, as mentors. And the way that I was treated when I worked at Channel 5 by those two women is incredible. And it set a, a tone for hopefully the way that I treat people and people that are younger than me coming up in the business that share similar values that you try to help them get to where they want to be. If you haven't checked out Paula's podcast, Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris, and now you know that the real last name is Shalub. How about that? I don't know if that's breaking news, but still, it was pretty great that she was so open about talking about her Lebanese heritage. Like, that's dope. That's so dope. Such a fan of hers. I'm so glad that she's in a place where she feels comfortable now in her own skin, that she did take a, a, a step back, and it turned out great. So, shout out to her. I'm glad that we had time to to make this happen and she she couldn't have been easier to deal with to navigate all of that stuff let me read you an email if you would like to email our podcast you can house of l podcast at gmail.com and let me just offer this out for most of this season what i'm calling season two of the podcast it's been commercial free and i kind of like that but there's definitely one advertiser that i'm probably going to start working with as we get closer and closer to the baseball season if you're someone who would like to advertise on the house of l podcast you have a pretty good listenership man you got like a thousand eleven hundred ratings on itunes which is great five stars baby five stars House of L podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up and I'll see if uh, I'm a good fit for you and you're a good fit for the podcast. Cool? Cool. You can also email just some thoughts. And if you want to send a voice mail, like if you just want to record something on your voice recorder on your phone and then email it to the email address, I'll put the sound into the podcast. Only one person is taking me up on that. Only one. This is from Mike. Lawrence, my name is Mike Hass. I'm the Assistant Director of Athletic Communication at NIU. I'm also a 2007 graduate at Valparaiso University and did some college radio with Adam Amin, as well as an internship at The Score in the fall of 2006. I remember Mike Hass. Not the receiver. Wasn't there a receiver named Mike Hass? I'll, I'll do some digging. Anyway, 
I got a chance to listen to your latest episode of House of L yesterday while sitting next to mutual acquaintance Andy Garcia on a flight to Muncie with the NIU women's basketball team who's playing Ball State. I bet Mike didn't know that my niece plays for NIU basketball. Shout out to Asia. Keep getting buckets. Anyway, your episode with Adam was just great and reminded me of how I could tell when he was a freshman that he just had the it, that little extra that was going to make him a star. I was really touched by the anecdote of how he first got that bug that told him doing play-by-play was for him. It reminded me of how I got to where I am now. I wasn't the best play-by-play guy in college, but I repped real hard, and I was good at color commentary, which is why I got to do it for Valpo men's basketball my senior year. That also led to me led me to realize that since I was good at, at noting trends and finding valuable notes for broadcast, maybe being an SID would be good for me. So far, that's been spot on. Adam's story is a great testament of finding your niche in the world and working hard to achieve it no matter what. I wish I stayed in touch with him more throughout the years, but that was fantastic. Listen, and something I needed to hear. I'm a big fan of your show. Keep doing what you're doing. And that's from Mike Has. Hey, Mike, I appreciate that, man. It's so interesting. The amount of people that I've talked to that Adam's episode really connected with them has been impressive. That's not what we meant to do. Like, that's not what we set out to do when we were talking. But it's great that he has had that type of effect on people. He's a really good dude, man. And you can tell by the way that he carries himself how much he cares about being a good dude. And we need more people like that. So shout out to him. Shout out to you. Shout out to my man, Bob, over at University of Chicago. Another fan favorite of Adam Amin from the old Valpo days. But those are the types of things that I love to do. Like I like for people to to get some of the backstory on some of these great people that we follow in this industry. And the sky's the limit for Adam, man. You know it. It's the same thing for for Paula. Like if she decides that she wants to go back to the top of the industry, it's it's not going to be a problem. But the fact that she feels more comfortable in her own skin and is finding her lane. That's some powerful stuff. I'm I'm so happy that she was able to make some time for this stupid little podcast that I do. So that'll do it. A successful episode 95. Tell someone about this episode, someone who needs to hear it, because I know that it did some good for me. I don't usually do episodes for the personal aspect of it, but For me personally, it was extremely helpful as she's always been since I've known her. So shout out to Paula Ferris. Continue to be great. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, give us five stars. Give us a a rating. Write a a review. Tell us how much you liked a certain episode like Adam Amin or Paula Ferris. I got a great guest coming up next week too, man. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Peace. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.